Today we are talking about the sword of the spirit. <clears throat> and when we talk about a sword, we think about fighting, obviously, um, and that we are to take up the sword of the spirit. It is the one offensive weapon that we have, and I think prayer is another one that God has given to us, and it reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. And the sword that he's talking about is kind of a short sword. It wasn't the real long one. It was a shorter sword that was used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, and even the sword that was struck to take Peter's ear off was the same kind of sword in the, in the garden. And so it's a sword that God has given us that we must know how to use. Um, to be effective in God's field. Um, just want to start off with, uh, let's see if this is going to work here. It's not advancing. There we go. Um, did you advance it or did I advance it? <laughs> All right, God's word exposes Satan's strategy. Um, Satan is looking for unsuspecting individuals, communities, and churches to attack. He has great freedom to roam around, and he's looking for inroads into our lives. He is searching for little cracks even in Bethesda Church. He's looking for cracks in your home. He's looking for cracks in your personal lives. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us of this fact. I think I am working it now. All right. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Who is he looking for? What kind of individual is he looking to devour? Well, how about Job? Remember, Satan goes into the presence of God and says... God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Job was holy, righteous, blameless. He shunned evil, and that was the one that Satan attacked. Um, he attacked David with his purity with Bathsheba. He attacked Peter with his integrity about lying, about knowing the Lord. He attacked Paul by having him beaten and suffered shipwreck and all the things that happened to Paul. And so it reminds us that we are in a deep spiritual battle. And the devil is looking to devour us. So what does he use? How does God's word expose Satan's strategy? Well, I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. We talked a little bit about it last week. And I want to talk about it a little bit more. Um... And actually, in the very beginning of the chapter, um, it says the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal of the wild animals Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So what is the first thing he does? He distorts God's word. He distorts the word of God. He plants seeds of doubt in people's minds. Lies about what God has said or what he has not said. 
lies about the consequences as well. Look here what it says here in chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and, your eyes will, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He lied again. He lied about what she would know and what she would understand, and he also lied about what she would be like. He said she would be like God, and she was more less like God. Her eyes were not open, her eyes were blinded. So Satan told a direct lie, and that's what he does. And what was the result of her decision? Adam and Eve both experienced guilt, shame, fear, and isolation from God. Guilt and shame because they broke trust and disobeyed God's command. Fear and isolation because of knowing, of God knowing what they did and how he might punish them. We tend to be more attracted to lies, though, than truth because of the sin nature that is within us. The sin nature wants to be in control. In reality, we want to be God in our lives. You know, one of the statements in uh, the Celebrate Recovery material is, one of the statements is, realize I'm not God. I mean, that sounds silly, right? Realize I'm not God. But yet, we want to secretly be God. All of us. Let me give you some examples. If I had the power to do what I wanted to do, here's what some people would do. If I could control the weather, I would have it be 72 degrees with 22% humidity and have a nice, slow, steady rain every few days between the hours of 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. on my fields, right? That's what you would do because you want to be God. Um, if I was God, I would make myself better looking. Who would want to improve their looks just a little bit? If I was God, I would change certain aspects of my health and slow the aging process. If I was God, I would distance myself from certain people. I would move them to another community. <laughs> I know nobody here, of course. I mean, if I was God, I would go back in time and change some things that have happened to me and remove those pages from my history and my memory banks. If I was God, I would increase my mental capacity so I could have a lot more knowledge without having to read and study. Doesn't that sound good, teenagers? No homework? You would eliminate all homework, wouldn't you, if you were God? My Greek professor in college, he always used to take a poll in class. He would say, how many of you would like to skip the quiz today and, and not take the quiz? And half of us would raise our hands. He said, well, let's go ahead and get out a half sheet of paper and get that quiz out of the way. He never canceled a quiz. If I was God, I would have probably made him sick. Um, we love you, Prof. Um, he tells us in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's be honest with ourselves. We want to be God. God wants us to follow him and surrender to his will through his word. But we oftentimes want to be God. So he distorts the word of God. He also distorts 
the character of God. He says, you will be like God. He distorts, he discredits the character of God. He lies about the trustworthiness of God. He said, God is not who you think he is, Eve. He does not really love you. He is scared that you will challenge his greatness, his wisdom, and his power. And he also deceives the human race. That's what he does. How does he deceive the human race? Talk to the average person on the street and they will tell you they are good. Who's good? (laughs) Jesus talked to the rich young ruler and he said, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And Jesus says, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. He was trying to show him his spiritual bankruptcy apart from Jesus Christ. And people who live their lives apart from Jesus Christ will tell you, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't hurt anybody. I don't do... That's a lie. They're not good. None of us are good. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do we believe the word of God? We have to believe that if we are going to win the battle over temptation... We have to believe the Word of God. We have to. Now I want to take us and flip over to Matthew, the New Testament, in chapter 4. In Matthew, we have the temptation of Jesus, and there are actually similarities between Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. Because the same temptations that Eve faced, Jesus faced. Eve was faced with fruit, The lust of the flesh, Jesus was faced with the lust of the flesh and turning stones to bread. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And really he's saying, since you are the Son of God and you have this kind of power, make the stones bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this first temptation is the lust of the flesh. In other words, he wanted Jesus to enjoy something outside of God's will. It was not God's will for him to turn the stones to bread. He wanted him to enjoy something outside the will of God. That's what Satan does. He wants us to enjoy something outside the will of God. Some kind of pleasure that will touch me physically. So we tend to look for ways to meet our physical needs apart from Christ. I could be tempted to work hard and not trust the power of Christ to give me the strength to work. I can look for human comfort apart from God. Now the interesting thing is, Jesus says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did Jesus come up with that? Did he just come up with that out of thin air? No, he took it from the book of Deuteronomy. Because he was a man of the word. And we need to be men and women of the Word of God. If we're going to overcome temptation, we need to know the Word of God. We need to quote the Word of God to Satan when he comes to us and tells us these lies. He took it straight out of Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. It's not moving again. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might 
make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And this also ties in with the temptation in the wilderness with the Israelites because God rained down manna from heaven, did he not, to feed the Israelites. And he wanted them to trust the Lord and rely on the Lord instead of their own resources. And that's what he wants us to do as well. Temptation to place physical needs ahead of spiritual needs. Some of you may know the name Steve Farrar. He's written several books, especially books for men. And in his book, Point Man, which he wrote a number of years ago, he surveyed over a thousand men when he was working on a degree and how often in an average week they interacted with the Lord through the scriptures. And here's what he found out. In surveying over 1,000 men, 45% reported one time a week or less. One time a week or less in the scriptures. He said the majority of these men are committed Christians and attend church more than once a week. Yet he says nearly half of them are spiritually anorexic. Spiritually anorexic. He said they're not taking in the word of God. They're starving spiritually. And then he goes on and he talks about spiritual bulimia. He said this is even more of a problem in our culture. Spiritual bulimia. And he relates it to physical bulimia. He said Dr. Raymond Vath says bulimia is an illness with recurrent compulsive episodes of binge eating followed by self-induced vomiting and or purging with laxatives. And here's what he says happens with spiritual bulimia. Many Christian men or people suffer from spiritual bulimia, the inconsistent reading or hearing of God's word without personal application. He said a young girl will binge and take in a tremendous amount of food only to quickly vomit, thus denying her body the nutrients it needs. The danger in the Christian life, he says, comes when I listen to a sermon or I go to a Christian seminar, listen to a series of CDs without applying the truth I hear to my life. This is spiritual bulimia. It is an aversion to the applying of scriptures to my life. I chew it and I swallow it, but I don't digest it. Before I digest it and to get the vitamins that I need for my life, I vomit out the truth by not applying it. And that's what he calls spiritual bulimia. And I think it's so true in our lives. My heart was broken this week when I received a call from somebody in full-time ministry whose marriage is dissolving. And then he admitted his own addiction to pornography. And this is what happens if we don't take in the word of God and apply. We can sit in church and we can hear the truth. But if we don't apply it, when I get in front of the computer screen or in front of my phone that I talk about and I don't apply the scripture that says man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Submit myself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from me. That's what the scripture says. I have to know the scripture and I have to apply it to my life. It is so vital that we do that. Temptation number two 
is the pride of life. Look down in verse 5 of Matthew 4. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now he's quoting scripture. The devil is quoting scripture from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. And here's what Jesus says back to him. But he's taking it out of context. Why? Again, he's trying to get Jesus to do something apart from the will of the Father. He said, it is also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. Where did Jesus come up with that? From Deuteronomy again. He goes right back to the law in the book of Deuteronomy. And he said, that's wrong. Jesus is up on the southeast corner of the temple. He's overlooking the Kidron Valley, the flat top corner of Solomon's porch. I've seen that area. And he says he wants him to desire to accomplish something apart from God's power. Let me say that again. He wants Jesus to desire to accomplish a something apart from God's power. He's saying God will protect you. God will preserve your life. We are not to place ourselves in dangerous situations and expect God to bail us out. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. We can misuse our spiritual gifts and authority for personal benefit in building our own empire rather than God's kingdom and serving others. And we have to be careful not to do that. There's a temptation to do that. A temptation for pride to come in and ruin us. And we don't know what God has to say about it. I think about a man I had a conversation with a couple of years ago and in that conversation he was a church going person but he as far as spiritual depth I don't think he has hardly any spiritual depth to his life because in talking about the scripture he said I've never read the Bible. Church going person never read the Bible. Now how is he going to face temptation? How is he going to overcome temptation if he doesn't have the word of God? That is the sword. That is the way we fend off the enemy out of our life. We have to come back to him with scripture. Jesus was the perfect son of God and the only way he had victory over temptation was to quote scripture back to the devil. And by the way, the word here for sword of the spirit in Ephesians there's, there's a word for God's word, logos, that we studied back when we looked at the book of John. The logos, the word, the reason, the intelligence of God. But this word here for sword of the spirit has to do with the spoken word. We speak the word of God. There's a power and an authority in speaking the word of God to Satan because he hates the word of God. It's a thing he cannot devour. And it's a thing we must give him. Temptation number three, the lust of the eyes. Look down in verse eight. And notice the devil comes at him again and again and again. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. He takes him up into this high mountain. He wants him to seize power by bypassing God's will. You know, we can be guilty of the same thing. We can say, you know what, I want to be a millionaire, so I'm just going to go out and go for it. Is that what God wants or is that what you want? Or a position, I can seek a higher position and have greater influence in people's lives. Is that what God wants or is that what I want? I can do this and I can do that, but is it what God wants in my life? Let's say a church calls me and says, Roy, we want you to come. There's a thousand people here and we want you to be our pastor. Is that what Roy wants or is that what God wants? It's more vital that we do what God wants in our lives. Desire to do something outside of God's will. Instant power, authority, and wealth. He's telling Jesus, you can have all this power. You can have all this authority. You can have all this wealth now. Don't wait for the cross. Bypass the cross. And that's what oftentimes we want to do. We don't want to take up the cross daily and follow Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every possible way that you and I are tempted, and yet he was without sin. I think here's what we have to do. We have to anticipate that we are going to be tempted daily. Anticipate that today you are going to be tempted. Anticipate tomorrow you are going to be tempted. <laughs> it's going to happen. Temptation is going to come to us. Analyze in what area am I being tempted? Think back over the course of this last week. In what areas were you tempted? I can tell you where it starts. Where it always starts. The thought life. It's where it always starts. Right in our mind. That's where we're tempted. Am I tempted with immorality, purity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, arguments, envy, drunkenness, orgies? I didn't pull those out of the air. That came from Galatians chapter 5. Those are the works of the flesh. Satan is going to attack us and tempt us in those areas. If you are overcoming an addiction, where is Satan going to tempt you with that addiction? If you are trying to overcome a hurt, where is Satan going to tempt you with unforgiveness toward the person who hurt you? Will you forgive? He's going to tempt us in those areas. You have a lot of money. Where is Satan going to tempt you with your wealth? He's going to tempt us in those areas. Well, here's what God's Word does for us. God's Word equips 
the believer with discernment. For some reason, this isn't advancing, so my apologies. God's word equips the believer with discernment. How? By obeying God's word. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How do we guard that? Well, I think it goes back to the verse we read at the beginning of the sermon. 1 Peter 5, 8, that we are to be sober-minded and watchful. We have to be serious-minded and watchful. We are in a spiritual battle that Satan wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our marriages, our families, our churches. And we have to be sober-minded and watchful. We have to recognize that our steps are to be ordered by the Lord. Our decisions are to be in line with God's will and way. My decisions are not based on my happiness, my emotions, or my feelings. That's not what I base my decisions on. It has to be based on the word of God. So obeying God's word is how I grow in discernment, how I can detect when there's leakage in my life. Otherwise, I won't detect it. Also, by focusing on eternal things. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So I grow in discernment by obeying God's word, applying it to my life. I grow in discernment by focusing on eternal things. And I don't know about you, but boy, it's so easy to get distracted, to get my eyes down here and look at that person and those things and that stuff rather than keeping my focus on eternal things. A third way that we grow in discernment is by rejecting secret and shameful ways. Secret and shameful ways. Second Corinthians 4.2 says this, but we have renounced, Paul says, disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Why would somebody hide something in their life? Because of shame. That's why they hide it. If you have to clear your history off your computer screen or off your phone, there's a good chance you're heading the wrong direction. There's no accountability. If you have to clear your history, he, Paul says we refuse to practice cunning. He's saying, I refuse to walk in deceitfulness. He says, I refuse to tamper with God's word. In other words, I'm not going to water down the truth to make it more palatable. I'm not going to dilute or falsify God's word. I am going to have an open statement of the truth and openly proclaim the gospel. Because it's the power of God to salvation. It is the thing that will help people overcome temptation. 
And then I would say this, another way that we grow in discernment is by initiating a plan to protect our heart. Initiating a plan to protect our heart. Now I'm going to give you a very practical plan. Get an accountability partner to hold you accountable. If you genuinely desire victory over an addiction or habit, you need to open yourself up to a trusted person who will ask you the hard questions. One of the things that happens in Celebrate Recovery is there's openness and sharing. There's no secrets. We share. We share our struggles. We share our difficulties. All those things. Anyhow, I would like to read with you some questions that I think would be good accountability questions. Because some people, when they get together for accountability, it's, well, we talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about life, but we don't talk about difficulty. Um, in his book, The Body, Chuck Colson listed some questions used by Chuck Swindoll that he would use with his board at his church. Number one, have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might be seen as compromising? I mean, that's a good, straightforward question. Number two, has any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Number three, have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? This is not talking about the weather. It's getting down to where we live. Because why, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to catch one another or protect one another? The goal is protection. <laughs> the goal is protection, not to beat another person up. Number four, have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Number five, have you given priority time to your family? You're not working all the time. You're balancing your schedule. Number six, have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? And number seven, have you just lied to me to tell the truth? And then I would say the last way we grow in discernment is by surrendering our will to God. Surrendering our will to God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know as well as I do, if you sit at a table and you have a sumptuous meal, you eat a salad and a steak and a baked potato, and, and you walk away from that table... Um, you're not going to be tempted with food for a little while because you're full. And the truth is, when we fill our lives with, and minds with the Word of God, we don't have room for all the garbage. The garbage doesn't have room. We fill our minds with the Word of God so that we can keep our way pure and we can honor the Lord. And notice it said, James said, submit yourselves to God. Who is the God we are submitting to? A God who is holy and righteous. A God who is all-powerful. He's not just some pie in the sky. He is the eternal, sovereign, holy, righteous God that we submit our lives to. And we do that when we surrender to him. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God 
then resist the devil and he will flee from us. That's the key, the word of God in our lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, how are you doing with your intake of the Word of God? It is the sword of the Spirit. If you are going to overcome the temptation and the lies of the enemy, you will not do it in your own strength and your power. Paul said, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Strong in the Lord, the sovereign, holy, righteous God is where we get our strength from. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and he overcame every one of those temptations with the word of God quoting scripture. Do you know the scripture well enough to quote it? Have you memorized some verses like there is no temptation taken you but that which is common to man? But God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that I may be able to bear it. We quote scripture back to the enemy. I would encourage you to hide. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. It is the antidote to sin. It is the antidote to temptation. It is the antidote to false teaching. Paul told Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And even what, what Eve was tempted with in the garden was with the doctrine of God. Is this really who God is? Is that really what he said? Because what does the enemy want you to do? He wants you to throw in the towel on coming to the scripture. Come to church, just don't open the scripture during the week. Come to church, just don't memorize scripture. Come to church, just don't apply it. We have to apply it. Because the truth of the matter is, you will be lied to this week by the enemy. You will face temptation this week. If you don't, come and talk to me. I want to know your secret. Because <laughs> I face it. And the only thing I can do is come back to the scripture again and again to be renewed in our minds. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin because we are not good apart from him. The Bible tells us. And that's why we come back to the scripture so I know who I am and I know who God is. And that he is holy and righteous. And he will not allow sin into his heaven. If you have secrets in your life nobody else knows about, know that the omniscient, holy God knows every secret you think that nobody knows. <laughs> he knows. Would you renounce that secret in that shameful way to the Lord? And the only way you're going to gain victory over it, if it's an addiction or a habit in your life, is you have to have accountability. For you to think that you can do it yourself is a lie. You will not. You haven't yet. You need help.
Humble yourself, the Bible says, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'll be willing to pray with you. If you have a struggle in your life that we can pray with you about, we would be happy to pray with you about that. Seek myself out at the end of the service or somebody else, but pray with that person. Open yourself up so that God can do a work in your life. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.